Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, directed, in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rose Podcast. Welcome aboard. Greetings, my fellow Earthlings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? Everybody okay? Not so much. Up, down, in, out, for better, for worse. Well, whatever it is you may be going through, as long as you incorporate the four P's in your life, whether that means being productive, proactive, positive, and a little bit of prayer will certainly go a long way. Then you'll be on the right track and hope for better days that will lie ahead. But I know you've come here for a little bit of an escape to hear what it is I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports with some opinions, analysis, to be able to entertain and inform. Well, you've come to the right place as this is the J Reels Podcast and I'm your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this content. And for those who have been banging with me for now 131 episodes, I welcome you guys back. It is a Monday, May the 18th, in the year of our Lord, 2020. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What to expect here over the course of the next 45 minutes to an hour is as follows. The last dance concluded last night, which was the epic ESPN documentary regarding the 97-98 Chicago Bulls and the entire Michael Jordan era. I'll share a few takeaways on that, as well as the comparisons between LeBron James and Michael Jordan. They never cease. Uh, Please, I know that there's no content out there. There are no games to report. But for SportsCenter to bring this up after the last dance as an after show is just ridiculous. And uh, it just makes me want to pull my hair out of my head. And even worse, who is responsible for the 75 all-time NBA players, this list that ESPN concocted, that I didn't even want to look at? But I knew for two reasons. One, it was going to be comical. And two, I was going to be critical about it. So you'll get my two cents on that. As well as James Harrison, who was in the news last week for stating that he had received an envelope from Coach Mike Tomlin in reference to a hit on a Cleveland Browns wide receiver back in 2010. Now, all the reports have been refuted by his agent, also by Art Rooney the third from the Steelers side. But what this means for the coach, for the organization moving forward, will the NFL investigate? I'll be sure to share my thoughts on that as a huge Steeler fan. I also have a special project for you guys, the listener, as I have a future idea for a podcast that I certainly want you to pay attention to. That'll be toward the end of the podcast, as well as my hero and zero of the week. But I'm going to start off this podcast talking about baseball and everything that transpired over the last few days in Major League Baseball, in reference to the comments that were made by Tampa Bay Rays pitcher Blake Snell. And if you listen to my podcast, I believe it was episode 129, I depicted how Major League Baseball is in for a dangerous game. And that game being the players and the owners not coming to an agreement on how to play out the rest of this 2020 season and even into next season, which still could be uncertain at this moment. Because as we all know, this virus is not going away anytime soon. And with a collective bargaining agreement that will expire at the end of next year, 
And going back to Snell's comments, which he made on his Twitch account, which is that online video game account where he can interact with fans and he's on video playing whatever Call of Duty or whatever video game of his choice is. But he had made some comments, and I'm going to paraphrase, of course. Him saying that I am not risking my health, I'm not risking my life, but at the same time, I do expect every penny to be deposited into my bank account for the rest of the season on top of me already taking a pay cut, which I agreed upon, and moving forward, that is not going to be the case. Well, if he didn't intertwine the health and money and kept it as two separate deals, then everybody would understand that. Nobody's going to expect you to go out there if you feel uncomfortable or unsafe or if the conditions aren't to your liking. Understood. Now, I get that people could say, well, hey, if firefighters sign up for them being a firefighter, no matter how much much they get paid, but they know that going into a burning building is risking their lives, people could look at the baseball player and say, well, why can't he do the same thing? Well, it's by choice. If you know you're going to sign up to be a firefighter, or a policeman, or in the military, that's what you're doing. And you know the consequences of what could take place. Nobody thought that going into a baseball season with a coronavirus that's hanging over this country here over the last two, two and a half months, that Blake Snell certainly didn't sign up for, neither did Major League Baseball for that matter, but if that's his choice to sit out and not be a part of this baseball season in 2020, then so be it. But guess what? You're not going to get paid in the process. So... For him to then discuss money and saying, I'm getting every penny, even though I'm risking my life, one thing doesn't have to do with the other. He should have just kept it at health. I don't feel comfortable. I'd rather stay at home. I'd rather not go there. I'd rather just play video games and interact with my fans. If that's what you want to do, God bless you. And then with Arizona and Florida now being open, on a separate note, now being open for the facilities, for the players to... Now head out to Arizona if you're in the Cactus League and those teams that play out there and in the Grateful League down in Florida. So you're going to see players slowly but surely trickle in and I'm sure there are plenty of guidelines. You can't have all 25 players or 40 players, whatever it's going to be, at these facilities at one time. But knowing that they're open and this actually came out, I believe the same day, especially for Arizona, that Snell made these comments. But what makes this just ugly is that not only does he come across as selfish, but also as inconsiderate. And you have quite a few Major League Baseball players and prominent players at that that back up what Snell said. Bryce Harper being one where he said, well, somebody had to say it. Somebody manned up and I'm glad that Blake was the one who was able to carry the torch, so to speak. Even Nolan Arenado agreed with that. Trevor Bauer also had made some comments in reference to Snell. And we know Bauer is out there when it comes to him and making these comments and statements to the press. But because of the insensitivity of his comments, especially directed toward the American public, which I said was going to be a bad optic two weeks ago with this dangerous game. Well, now the first salvo has been shot. And the owners last Tuesday had a proposal for an 82-game season where the players had to agree upon. And as of right now, all I'm hearing is crickets. Even Tony Clark, the president of the players' union, he came out and said something along the lines of what baseball wants to do is implement a salary cap. And if that means that the players aren't going to get paid, whether it's this year or into next year, 
We don't want to hear it. Now, why would Tony Clark say something like that when all the owners are trying to do is figure out what's going to be best? Now, of course, for them, they're going to look out for themselves. But what they feel is going to be deemed proper or business-like to just try to get through this circumstance. And it doesn't necessarily mean that what they've written or what they've proposed is going to be gospel. I'm sure they're going to have to work with the players with some of these stipulations or whatever it is that's in these contracts or in this proposal. But for Snell to come out with those comments and a lot of these players or a few of these players to come out and say what they said, you can only imagine how many other players in Major League Baseball feel the same way. And you know it's just not those four. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's making big bucks or even the guy that's the 25th man on the roster who's making minimum wage and right now may be hurting. And I understand that may be comical considering that the minimum salary in Major League Baseball is what, $550,000 a year? To people who are living in this country who do not have a job or do not have food on their table or not knowing when their next paycheck is coming, we all know that that's an absolute joke when you look at the players and how they're going to bitch, moan, and gripe about them wanting to get theirs a la Blake Snell. And he's wrong for saying that. If it was just about health, we'd understand that. When you say, yeah, I want every last cent, uh-uh. That's where you have to draw the line. And we get that the players are going to back what Snell had to say. Interestingly enough, a former player, Mark Teixeira, who's now on ESPN, he came out and said, and I believe this was his comments before Blake Snell's, where he said that, I'd rather play for pennies and get baseball back into the fold for the American public to rally around, for them to have their diversion, their escape, than to have all this money and then gripe about not getting it all and then sit at home and not play the game that I love. And I've never been much of a Teixeira fan. Obviously, he's been a Yankee, but he's a guy that was pretty much vanilla when it comes to his comments. And now that he's been part of the media, he's actually stuck up for the owners, so to speak, in this case. But I think Teixeira is right in that regard. Now, of course, people are going to say, oh, for pennies, there's no way that these players are going to do that. Of course not. Nobody's saying that they have to take pennies. But at the same time, they're not crying broke either. I mean, let's be real here. And you've heard what Commissioner Rob Manfred's had to say, that baseball will lose $4 billion and that they've already lost 640000 per game when it comes to now what would be almost two months into a season. Think about it. Memorial Day is the 25th. The baseball season would have started March 26th. So just do the math. And I'm not here as a proponent for the owners. I'm not. I want what's fair. Now, if the owners were trying to rake the players over the coals, I'd say, no, 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 no. They, they got to rework this. And not knowing what that full proposal is, we know there's going to be a full-time DH. We know the rosters will probably expand because there's not going to be any minor leagues. We know pretty much what to expect here, whether that means spring training is going to start sometime in June now that these facilities have opened up, and then maybe a season will start July 1st, July 4th, whatever it may be. And we haven't heard anything since last Tuesday from the players other than Snell's comments as to whether or not they're going to agree amicably on this. And sadly, it looks like they're probably not going to come to a conclusion anytime soon. Now, mind you, two weeks from today will be June 1st. So you would think a decision has to come down over the course of the next week or so. Because who knows if any of these players are trekking to their respective spring training facilities in light of what Snell had to say and maybe feeling as if It's not safe to go into these workspaces. Have they gone in to disinfect? Who knows 
What other personnel has been on the property that may be infected? All these things take into place. All these factor in. And this is why I said two weeks ago that they are playing not just a dangerous game, but they're playing a fatal game. And the fatality would be us, the fans, knowing that if the players and owners can't shake hands and move on and try to put forth the season once, God willing, everything clears up, then who knows if the baseball fan, whether you're a diehard like myself or the casual baseball fan, will ever come back. Because one thing that people fail to understand, and I've actually gotten into a couple of squabbles with people online in reference to this, because they'll say, oh, but the players, they've worked all their lives. Who are the owners to tell them what to do, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we understand that. But at the same time, if the player is going to complain about their health and money at the same time, no, it's one or the other. And then on top of that, is that you would think as a player, no matter if you are that last guy in the roster or the top guy that gets getting paid $30 million, you would think that I have enough to tide me over. Unless you're a guy that's burning through your money and you're looking for that next paycheck, then that's on you. So if your lifestyle is more Warren Buffett than it is your average Joe or if you're Mike Trout or whomever it may be, then you need to look in the mirror and, and rearrange your priorities. That's all there is to it. Because nobody out here who is struggling, who is surviving by the skin of their teeth, they're not going to want to hear about your issues, about wanting to get paid in full when you're a professional athlete. It's not cutting it. And we understand that these players, a majority of them, have been spoiled pretty much since grade school. Always being praised, always being up on that pedestal. Well, you know what? If you want to stay on that pedestal, do the right thing. Make sure that you go out and try to get that fair deal with the owners and that you would just look at the big picture knowing that we haven't seen any type of sports, entertainment, and not to say it's all about that people, we get that. I mean, we all know there's more important things that's going on in this country and in the world, understood. But just for the sake of their profession and for the sake of the American public and for the sake of the fans and all of that, you would think they would take into consideration that as long as we get something that's fair and also take into the fact that this is an unprecedented time that this country is going through, show a little bit of sensitivity to know that as long as we get what's right and what's fair and we try to entertain and keep the fans' interest and to welcome us with open arms as we hope to get a season underway over the course of the next four or five weeks, and that's all we're asking for. Because the fans seem to be the forgotten people in all this. Meanwhile, these are the same fans that you need to fill up ballparks. And we get that they're not going to fill up ballparks this year with the climate and everything that's happening in this country. They should know first and foremost that even with us not being there, that they have to come to agreement and work this out. Because lastly, if this thing drags out any longer than it does, and let's say there's not even a season this year because the players and owners couldn't see eye to eye on this thing, then baseball will be off in the wilderness forever. I know I came back after 94, after the strike then that year. I love baseball with all my being. It's my first love. And right now, for the sake of this podcast, of course I will come back because this is what I love to do. I love to discuss sports give you my analysis, opinions, everything. But it will be an absolute joke 
to know that this sport will never be what it once was because of the greed of both sides, but even more so the players here, and especially if you have more players coming out vociferously against this proposal by the owners. And if, again, if this sucker ends up being just a death knell to this year, then you could just say, kiss this sport goodbye. Now, what else can you say? I mean, it's just unbelievable. I'm not trying to make Blake Snell out to be a triple-A pitcher. We know he has a little bit of a resume winning a Cy Young, although he had a bad year last year. But again, this guy is not Tom Seaver. He's not Steve Carlton. And he spoke up for himself. He was honest in that regard. Great. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's right. And let's just hope, whether in the coming days or certainly before June 1st, that the players and owners can somehow, some way, put all this aside knowing that this is going to look bad on the sport forever if they don't come to terms and get this thing solved. And that's all I'll say about that. All right, I'm going to go on to the NBA. And before I get to the last dance, I have a bone to pick with ESPN again. Now, remember a few weeks back, well, during when the tournament should have been played, and that's the March Madness NCAA men's tournament, how they had this bracket of who is the best college basketball player of all time. And in this case, it was Michael Jordan, and this isn't to knock him or diminish him as a college player, but we all know that Michael Jordan is not in the conversation as the best college basketball player of all time. Did people forget about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bill Walton or even Christian Leitner? Well, let's face it, Christian Leitner is a far better player in college than Michael Jordan ever was. Okay? And all you got to do is just look it up. The Final Fours, the big shots, two titles, etc. He won one more title than Jordan and stayed all four years where Jordan left after his third year. But that's not what I want to discuss here. So they had this list of the top 75 players of all time. And I was afraid to open it up and look at it and see what I was going to laugh at or what I was just going to want to throw my phone up against the wall. And for this list, as egregious as it is on a few spots, I'm not going to go through the whole list, people. I know they're one through 10. If you recall, I gave you my one through 10 a few weeks back where I said, and not in any particular order, but it was Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tim Duncan. Those are my top 10. Yes, Kobe was not on that list. Shaq was not on that list. And the crazy thing is about this list, the top 10 included Shaq and Kobe. And I love Shaquille O'Neal. I love him as a player. Didn't like it. He was on the Lakers that he left after Orlando, but that was his choice. But with that aside, Shaq is not a top 10 player of all time. Sorry. And maybe he's in the top 20, the bottom half of the top 20. But he is not top 10 in my book. If that's the case, where does Hakeem Olajuwon fall? Or even Moses Malone? Or even Bob Pettit? Guys like that who get long forgotten. And that's why I hate about these lists because everybody is prisoners of the moment when it comes to this. It's almost as if they hire these college interns or these kids that are 30 years old that think they know about sports. And they may know about it. I'm not trying to say they don't. But nothing happened before the year 2001. So when you have this list where James Harden is one spot ahead of John Havlicek, uh, <laughs> that's where it becomes comical. 
That's why you just laugh until your stomach hurts and then you just want to cry and scream in anger. Because the NBA fan of today may look at Harden and say, wow, you know, 30, and they wouldn't even know who John Havlicek is, may God rest his soul, but they wouldn't know who John Havlicek if he watched five hours of video on him without blurting his name on the screen. But to have Havlicek, a spot below him, a guy who's only won eight titles, was an all-defensive NBA team eight times where James Harden would pray and wish that he could be an all-defensive player on an NBA team. But no, we got to put Harden ahead of him because he's one of the greatest scorers that the NBA has ever seen. And nobody's not going to score an ability, although that jump back three is walk. I don't want to just, let's not even go there with that. But for that to happen, and even, and everybody knows I love Allen Iverson, but for Allen Iverson and John Stockton to be ahead of Isaiah Thomas on that list, that's also a joke too. I mean, please. So that's where these lists, might as well just throw it in a fire, light a match, and let it burn to pieces. It's a joke. And these lists, we all know they're subjective, and they're, who knows who comes up with these types of cockamamie, I just, it's, aggravating to no end and ESPN is at it again with this they blew it with the Jordan being the best college player and then now I believe they ranked Jordan 1 and LeBron 2 I forgot what the rest of the top 10 is but I gave you pretty much the rundown but they did put Shaq and Kobe in there and they may have taken out Oscar and Jerry West which is I mean come on now listen I wasn't around to see those guys play but as I said before and I'll say it again Jerry West is the logo Number one. And Oscar Robertson is Mr. Triple-Double. That's all there is to it. So for those out there who think that Shaq is better, Kobe's better, or because he scored more points or won more championships, they're not paying attention. They're really, they're not. So ESPN, shame on you. You would have been my zero of the week, but they're not the case. So you get the... you don't get that distinction this week. And Lord knows you've gotten it plenty other weeks. So, And Scott Van Pelt, I don't watch SportsCenter anymore. I just happened to watch the, I guess, the after show of The Last Dance yesterday. And for Scott Van Pelt to bring up the whole Jordan-LeBron debate, I understand it's not on him. I get it's the producers. It's whomever in their meetings say, hey, we have to bring this up again now that Jordan's going to be... He's, not, he's never going to be irrelevant. I mean, the guy still sells sneakers 22 years after his career. I mean... Jordan, this is why he's an immortal player. But because of this documentary and him being back in the conscience of the sports fan and even the Americans who have watched this over the last five weeks, but it's just an injustice to LeBron. And as great as LeBron is, we all know he's not Michael Jordan. So why even compare? Why? This is ad nauseum to the a millionth degree. I'm not sitting here to break it down. I mentioned it, I believe, a couple of podcasts ago. The comparisons, how they need to shut it down. And for them to just bring it up again. And I'm sure somewhere today on some network, I'm sure Stephen A is probably talking about it right now as I'm speaking here. Or Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp. Who cares? Do we really need to go down that path again? And I, would, I wish LeBron would come out and make a comment. Don't compare me to this guy ever. I'm LeBron James. He's Michael Jordan. He's the greatest of all time. It's why I wear his number, whatever. And that's it. So I don't care who comes out with any proclamations that this one's better, that one. No. We saw over the last five weeks why Jordan's better, and that's it. Okay? Case closed. Let's end it on that note. 
and move on to other things. So I'm not just blaming Scott Van Pelt per se, but because I wish he could come out and say, why do we need to go down this road again? And we understand the network is bigger than he is. And even though that network, isn't, it to me, isn't the same as it once was. We all know that because there's so many different outlets to get your sports. Now, your stories, features, etc. But that just aggravated me to no end. So I just had to throw my proverbial two cents into the mix. And before I get to the last dance, I know some momentum was picked up last week. Now, remember two Fridays ago, Adam Silver looked as if the league and their season was going to be a tough call as far as resuming it to the point where he said he's probably not going to make a decision through the end of this month and even into June, which was ominous on my side. I mean, how can the commissioner of the league say that I'm not going to decide anything until we get into the month of June? You know, time is ticking here. Then last week, between a conference call, the players, and Adam Silver, even Chris Paul had come out and said, some encouraging things, how the players do want to finish the season. Right, they do want to be safe and they are concerned, but we don't want to hang up our sneakers for the season. We want to finish this out. We want to play it out, which was good to hear. It's funny, they're actually doing the opposite of what the baseball players are doing. And again, those are two different sets of encyclopedias. I get that because they pretty much have played most of their season where most of the players got paid, where obviously in baseball, it's not the case. But for Chris Paul to come out and pretty much say that, yeah, we do want to finish the season. And as I said last week, where you would think that they're going to host these two cities, whether it's Las Vegas or even Orlando. And we all know Florida is now opened up for business as far as these facilities are concerned. So to think that there may be some sort of resumption coming in the near future, there is a possibility. And that the NBA players are all for it. I don't know what that means. If you're the golden States of the world as even though Steve Kerr said that they're in off-season mode, but also did come out and say that they would comply if they wanted to complete the regular season. So everybody's pretty much in that holding pattern, standing pat, waiting to see what's going to happen next. But I'm going to quote what Chris Paul said last week. And this is not only just for the NBA, but for all sports. And this is what says it all. And I've said it again. I feel like I'm just banging my head against the wall a thousand times over. But he came out and said, and I quote, what is normal now? That's what we're trying to figure out to what it looks like. Until we find the answers and come up with a plan, the virus is in control. That's it. The virus is going to dictate whether or not sports, entertainment, or any type of everyday life or normalcy comes back into play. It's going to be on the virus's terms. And until then... Here we are in this holding pattern. What does this mean? For days on end, weeks on end, months on end, where the NBA is certainly doesn't have a lot of time like the NFL, as we talked about, been unscathed throughout this whole mess. What's going to happen here when May turns into June and June is into July and the players, yeah, they're still going to want to play, but now we're going to get into a summer, the unknown on whether or not we're going to have a season concluded. And that goes for the NHL, which has been super quiet. I don't know where Gary Bettman's been. I guess he's been under a rock waiting for this all to clear up. And then when he pops his head out from under that rock, he'd say, oh, can we play now? All right, let's go. And before I get to the last dance, the one thing that I thought about over the weekend in reference to Chris Paul's remarks, I truly feel, and this even goes for baseball, 
and they haven't started this season, I truly feel that play is going to be compromised heavily. Maybe as you get deeper into a postseason, the cream will rise to the to the top. But I could see this just being a mess. Who knows what these players, what kind of shape they're in. And for them to try to get into shape, let's just say it's going to take anywhere between two to four weeks to get into just the playing shape. What about basketball shape? What's going to happen then when you've heard Giannis hasn't shot into a hoop since this whole thing started? Or last week when I mentioned how weird it felt for Kevin Love to just be shooting a basketball in a facility where they opened up in Cleveland about 10, 11 days ago. What about the rest of the players who haven't done so in this time? So you think right away that even though they could scrimmage and have all these practices and go around the clock and everybody could be healthy and tested or whatever and raring to go, that the play is going to be anything close to what we saw in the beginning of March? And then on top of that, that's when the virus comes over and says, ah, okay, well now that everybody's together and games have started and you may be getting tested, but all it takes is that one person. This is why the virus is in control And I'm going to say this right now, even mentioned this last week or maybe even the week before that. And I don't know if it's going on a limb or not. No matter what these commissioners may say, the players, owners, whatever, whenever they say play ball or jump ball or drop the puck, I'll believe it when I see it. Because right now, all this is just chatter. All this is just conjecture. All the, whatever it is, all these plans, etc. Until I see somebody stepping into a batter's box or two players at center court or the referee ready to drop the puck, then I'll believe it. That's it. And I get that these leagues need the money. I get that the NBA and NHL want to finish the season. Like I said before, Manfred, baseball's losing $4 billion. So they're not going to go out like that. But unless the virus says, you know what? I'm done wreaking havoc. Goodbye. I believe when I see it. All right, let's get to the last dance, episodes nine and ten. A few things that I learned about last night and that I could take away from this. Now, pretty much what you're going to see was the Indiana series in '98 in that first hour, and then the second hour obviously was going to be all on the finals of the '97-'98 season against Utah. But the couple of takeaways I got were Steve Kerr, the situation with his dad. That I did not recall at all. And now this is going back to 1984. But it was interesting how he discussed with Michael Jordan. The question was posed on discussing their father's deaths. And then it went into that. And I was actually surprised that Steve Kerr had a little bit of a segment there. And we know that he's a big part of this documentary because of the shot that he made there in the 97 finals. And then being part of the team going back to the season after Jordan and he was a big part of that Bulls run from 93 to 98. But to hear that story and to witness it and obviously it's still going to resonate to Kerr to this day as he detailed in his uh, segment there. But that was something I didn't know about and learned about his dad just fatally shot. I mean, how awful can that get? Jeez, I mean, that's just anyone's worst nightmare losing a parent or a loved one in that magnitude on that particular platform, considering what he did. Also, Jordan's relationship with the security guard, in particular, Gus Lett, how a lot of the security guys were father figures, but Gus was the one guy that he turned to after his father died and became that father figure to Jordan. And we all know that Jordan was a guy that 
was private, couldn't go out, couldn't even go to restaurants. So by him sitting in his room and engaging with them, whether it's having cigars or playing cards or just having him over just to shoot the breeze, we got a little bit of a sense there as to how important a guy like Gus Lett was in his life post the murder of his father. And now the flu game, which is probably going to be dubbed the food poisoning game, which doesn't have the same sex appeal, but pizza is what did him in. And we all thought that he had the flu or he came down with some sort of ailment leading up to that game five. And it made me think about the game. I don't know if you remember this, people, but in that Sacramento LA series in 2002, I believe it was before game five. And that was the Western Conference Final where Kobe ordered a cheeseburger from room service. And remember, he got sick. And he played that game five in Sacramento, a game that the Kings won. And this was the game after Ori hit that shot where it was tipped around in front of the basket where Vlade Divac tried to push the ball as far out to center court, but it got into the hands of Ori and he hit that game-winning three. It was that series where Kobe had that cheeseburger and it was right before game five. And then just to think that Jordan not knowing throughout all these years what it was that made him sick and to think it was a bad pizza from somewhere in Utah, which, listen, I'm not knocking a pizza in Utah. I've never been, but being a New Yorker, I guess that's one of the last things I would order if I'm on the road. But even if that was the only thing that was open, I would have had pasta instead. Who knows? At least pasta, everybody can pretty much make pasta. Not many people can make pizza. So you had that. I know the handshake with Bird at the end of the game where he cursed at him. After game seven. And we know Jordan and Bird go back to the 80s. Also that game four. Which I totally forgot about. Where Pippen missed those two free throws. At 94-93. And then Miller hit that three. Where he said that he slightly or lightly pushed Jordan. To be free and had an open look to. Tie the series there at two apiece. And that was a very good series. Now Indiana had their chances in game seven as you saw. They looked at that tip there between Rick Smith and Jordan where Smith hit the ball to Pippen and then next thing you know, the Bulls were off and running and they couldn't stop the bleeding from that point on. Uh, those are pretty much the takeaways I got there. And then uh, episode 10, the Rodman going to that wrestle, that Monday Night Raw, whatever that was, uh, that was a joke. Imagine if that would happen today. And that was, of course, pre-internet, pre-social media, Twitter, etc., so Robin got vilified for that, and rightfully so. He didn't show up, but that's Robin. You know what you're going to get with him sometimes. And then he hit those two free throws there in game four, which sealed the victory there, which I totally forgot about. Because when you think of Robin, you just think of rebounding and defense and to a certain extent intimidation. So you don't think of him scoring points at all, and I forgot he even made those free throws. And then having to go out to Salt Lake City for a game six, It made me think about Jordan, I believe, what was that, episode four maybe, or maybe episode six, one of those two, after they won the 93 championship, where he told everybody, he said, I'm only bringing one suit out to Phoenix because we're coming back after game six. I wonder if he thought and felt the same way going out to Salt Lake City, knowing that five years prior he did the same thing. And also, what about Pippen's back? That was something that I remember and was huge, and I even thought to myself, man, it could be a game seven here because not having Pippen there on the floor was going to be crucial to the Jazz trying to equalize that series. And give credit to Pippen for bouncing back because you look at the migraine, and I wonder if this even played into his mind, knowing that in 1990, that game seven against Detroit, 
where it was the migraine game where Scottie Pippen sat out that game seven against Detroit and they lost to the Pistons where the Pistons went on to win the championship that year. Not to say that that was at the forefront of his brain, but knowing that his back was hurting and knowing that this is for a championship, you wonder that he said, uh-uh, I got to go out there at all costs. He didn't want to be the guy that the finger was going to be pointed at if he didn't go out and gut out this game and what he did. We saw him hobbling around that court. I'm not going to say it was a flu game light for him because we all know Jordan got out that game with 38 points in 44 minutes, but just with Pippen's presence on the floor and even Jordan said, be a decoy. Just go out there and just do what you can with what you can. So we got to give him credit for that. And Pippen, as we all know, has had his moments here as a bull. We talked about the 94 playoff game against the Knicks where Kukoc had to take the shot and his ego got in the way. So Pippen certainly in his final game as a bull went out like a bull by uh, gutting it out there with that bad back. And i never forget watching this in real time when at 86-83 when Jordan had the layup and then he stripped Malone on the other side of the court and then he made that shot against Brian Russell. I thought to myself, Malone's going to have to live this down for the rest of his life. As we know, one of the top power forwards of all time, to me, not the best power forward of all time, but for a guy who has certainly had a long career, I believe second or third on the all-time list in scoring, and in a moment like that where his team needed the basket in a worse way to get to a game seven, he came up small. And that's the one thing I thought about watching it in real time. And I never forget, I was watching it with my cousin JD at his old apartment here in the Bronx, and all we could do was look at each other and say, wow, he gagged in a big spot. He didn't see Jordan come behind him on that weak side, stripped him, and then, of course, hit the game-winning shot. And that's the difference between a guy like Michael Jordan, who's an immortal, and Carl Malone, who's an all-time great, who never won a title. And here are a couple other takeaways as we get to the end of this. Do you know that Michael Jordan, in those three years between 96 and 98, the Bulls played 304 games during that stretch. You know how many games Michael Jordan missed during that 304-game stretch? Zero. Zero. And you saw all those minutes he logged. You saw at the end of that game six how exhausted, how he had to muster up the energy, how he was just sitting there with the towel over his head, knowing that he was just whatever it was, 1.8 seconds from winning his sixth title in eight years. And he just completed a stretch between years 33 and 35, I might add. 304 games out of 304. And in today's NBA, it's all about load management. Oh, I got to rest up for the postseason. Oh, I got to make sure I take care of my body. Oh, I don't want to play on back-to-backs. Oh, there's a national TV game. Oh, I want to sit out this game. Oh, we're playing against Sacramento. Nah, it doesn't count. I'm just going to rest up. It just shows how much of a different breed the player is today than it was yesteryear. And the thing is, I don't want to hear how tough and grueling the game is. We all know that. Absolutely. But back then in 98, it was pretty much no blood, no foul. And in this day and age, you breathe on the guy and he's on the free throw line. So I don't want to hear about, oh, well, the game's just as rough. It's grueling. It's there. No, 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 no. Come on. That's the thing about Jordan. And that's the aura, the mystique, and the legend of him. All you need to know is that those three years, he didn't sit out one game. I don't know how many more bouquets I could throw at him. I mean, Lord knows a zillion of people have, and deservedly so, have thrown bouquets at him. And that's all you need to know about Jordan right there. 
that stretch. And it was interesting to, speaking of Carl Malone, to see him greeting MJ on the bus to congratulate him after the game. I guess he didn't get a chance to get him in the locker room considering the champagne and all the craziness that surrounds winning a championship. And I also love the quote, you can't win till we quit. Meaning that the Bulls, you're not going to win a title unless we all quit. And to me, that was indicative of having a guy like number 23 on your team because not too many people beat him. And certainly no one beat him over that eight-year stretch where he played in six of those years. And then to conclude, as far as could there have been a chance for a seventh title in nine years or to get that fourth title, as you saw at the very end, where Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the team, was looking to bring Phil back and wanted to bring him back, but it was going to be under a rebuild scenario. Now, we know the relationship between the GM, Jerry Krause, and Phil Jackson was irreparable at that point. And I think no matter how much money it would have taken to bring him back, knowing that they were going to be in rebuild mode said it all, that even why would Phil even come back to something like that? And then for... Reinsdorf to come out and say, well, if Michael had been healthy, we would have kept the team together. And I thought to myself at the time, what do you mean if Michael would have been healthy? He was healthy perfectly fine. But then it was reported that in January of 99, he had cut himself or sliced his finger while cutting a cigar and it wasn't going to heal in time. And therefore, there was no way that they were going to even bring Jordan back because of that, which is nonsense if you ask me. Because I'm sure if you would have told Jordan, hey, let's try to get four straight, now, bringing Scotty back would have been tricky. And even though Jordan said that it would have taken some convincing, but knowing that we would have tried to go for a fourth title, that he would have signed on, we'll never know that. If you ask me, I think Pippen would have been gone. He wanted the money. He didn't want to have another one-year, $3.5 million contract. Are you kidding? And I'm sure he's making even less than that. What was it, 18, seven years for $18 million? No, no, no. And we all know that Jordan was going to get paid top dollar and that Rodman was going to have to come back at a discount and Pippen was going to have to come back at a discount there's no way that the team I think would have been brought back although Jordan did make some interesting points that if Reinsdorf told Jackson that yes we'll do this for one more year and I get they didn't want to go through a Celtic rebuild where he didn't want these players to age a la Bird Parrish and McHale and then go into the wasteland of the NBA where they wouldn't see a title in forever if they would have went to take one more shot at it to go for fourth in a row, well, obviously we'll never know, but at least it would have been a thing where they would have rallied the team together for one last shot. And at that point, it would have been immortality. Because four in a row, we all know only one team in the history of sports done that. But we all know that never came to pass. And it's just a shame because that would have been a feat that a lot of people would have looked at and circled at for them to try to go for four in a row in a Lockout shortened season. A lot of people would have thought they could have done it considering it was a shorter season, 50 games, and then go through the playoffs and then possibly play a San Antonio Spurs team, which was the Western Conference representative that year. Of course, that was the Nixon Spurs that year. But my feeling on that is if the Bulls were to be put together, I don't think they would have made it to the finals that year. They were exhausted. They were done. They were toast. And even with those first few months off, if you recall, they played 50 games during that stretch and you had a lot of games that were clumped together where they had back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. There were a lot of three games and three nights and sometimes in three different cities. 
And for an older team, that would have worn them down quick. And I understand it's Jordan. I get that he would have looked at that as the ultimate challenge. And what could you say about him then if they would have came back and made a run for it? But I don't think they would have gone to a final. They would have made the playoffs, of course. But to me, that would have been just a tall order to have all that time off, then to come back, to have the whole team together again, and then to go on a 50-game sprint to the playoffs and then go through those three, four rounds again just to get to an NBA championship, I thought that would have been tough. And then lastly, I know Jordan even said it was maddening to leave at his peak, and he's right. I mean, geez, he was 35, and he was still on top of his game, as you all saw. But the one last thing that I found fascinating was the personal notes, Phil Jackson, how everybody wanted to write a personal note, read it, put it in the can, and then light it up to burn it forever so nobody other than the people in the locker room will be able to experience that. And that's the zen-like manner and the wisdom, the persona, that is Phil Jackson. And Steve Kerr said that there was something special and something that he'll never forget, and I could see why. That even, you know, Michael wrote a poem, and even though Jordan said, ah, I didn't write a poem, but I'm sure that was a moment that you could win all the championships and the champagne and the trophies and the parades and all these ceremonies, but to have something like that, that's some next-level stuff. And only a coach like Phil Jackson would think of doing something like that. So that's what you have there with the Last Dance people. I know ESPN's coming out with these other documentaries in the weeks to come, Lance Armstrong. The one on Bruce Lee, I'm fascinated to see, which is, I believe, in three weeks. And then you have the Heroes of Summer, whatever that is, with uh, Sosa and McGuire. And let's see how ESPN paints that picture because we all know, yes, it was exciting. It brought baseball back after the 94 strike, but that sucker is going to become a dumpster fire before you know it. And we'll uh, keep our eyes on that as the uh, days and weeks move along here. Before I get to the NFL, I'm remiss for not mentioning another sad death in the world of sports. And there's a couple others I'm going to get to in a minute. But in baseball, you had Bob Watson, the former Astro and Yankee, also Yankee executive, who was the GM of the 96 championship team, passed away of kidney failure last week at the age of 74. Watson was a guy that I watched a little bit in my career. I was young enough to watch him play. I know in, I believe it was game two of the World Series, he had, I believe, two home runs. No, I know he had one home run for sure. He may have hit two home runs in that series to propel the Yankees to a 2-0 lead against the Dodgers that year, but then the Dodgers went ahead and won the next four and finally got back at the Yankees for 77-78 in all the World Series in the 50s, 1955 excluded where the Dodgers won that World Series and Watson was a big part of those Astro teams there, the Astrodome, and then, of course, the Yankees there later on. Well, he unfortunately leaves us at 74. Thoughts and condolences go out to him and his family, of course. And before I get to a couple of other passings here, as far as the NFL is concerned, now teams are opening facilities tomorrow. What does that mean for New York and California? Remains to be seen. I'm sure that the states that would allow the facilities to open that certainly aren't as stringent as they are here in the Northeast and also out West in California. So the NFL is trying to be proactive. There's a P word to get their players acclimated or at least get the ball rolling to see whether or not, whether it's workouts or whether it's voluntary Many camps, which usually start up in the first week of June. All this is a pipe dream, as I've said time and time again, because the virus is in control of this. But 
You got that to look forward to if you're an NFL team. What you don't have to look forward to if you're the front office and Goodell, is there a possible suspension on the horizon for one Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers? In reference to what James Harrison had to say last week, there was a hit, if you recall, on Mohamed Masakwai, a wide receiver of the Cleveland Browns, where he caught a ball over the middle and Harrison unloaded on him. And even though Harrison, in his comments after saying that he had received an envelope from Coach Tomlin after the game, he said he didn't know if it was because of the hit from Masakwai. He tried to defuse it, but he did say that he did receive an envelope from him. And then right after that, Art Rooney the third came out and said that it's nonsense as well as his agent saying that it's completely false. Doesn't know why James came out and said that. And I don't know why he said that to begin with. And he didn't want to even disclose if there was amount of money in this envelope, which I don't know if he was just doing that to try to get hits because Harrison now, every now and again, you'll see him on some of these FS1 shows. He'll throw in his opinions. I don't know if he's trying to get into the media in that regard and was just trying to make himself relevant. Who knows? I don't know. But will the NFL investigate? I'm sure they'll look into it a little bit. But considering that the agent has come out and Art Rooney has come out, and this is certainly unstealer-like, and we all know there's always could be that one person that could upset the apple cart, but I don't think that maybe a fine at the most could be a slap on the wrist, but I don't think Tomlin is, this isn't Bounty Gate here. You know, we're not talking about the Saints of, uh, what was it, 2009. So will there be some sort of punishment? I don't think it's going to be extreme. It may be slight. It may be a fine. Who knows? But other than that, uh, this is much to do about nothing. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Steeler fan. I'm not saying that because, because trust me, if it was something that Tomlin was accused of or th- there was some sort of inner workings on something like this where maybe another player comes out and says something in the days and weeks to come, then maybe I'll take a little credence on that. But right now, please, you can't even look at that and say, this is a concern here. At least I don't. But you have that. You also have Ed Oliver, who was the number one pick last year of the Bills, who was pulled over for a DWI and unlawfully carrying a gun in Houston in his hometown. The NFL can't get out of their way with this, and I'm going to get to a little bit more of that later in my Hero Zero of the Week. So there's a tip in my hand. If those have been following sports over the last week, I think you know where I'm going to go with my Zero of the Week. But here's a guy that is going to be the mainstay of that defensive front for the Bills. And we understand everybody's not going to be a saint. Everybody's not going to follow the guidelines or follow certain rules. And they'll forget about the rookie symposiums and all the meetings that they have prior to their careers where they got to watch every step and know that they're part of the public eye. All those things that we all know that come to pass when it comes to not only just being a rookie, but an NFL player. And here it is one year later and boom, the NFL always gets involved with these things and their players. And you cannot hammer the point home enough. So now you have a situation with Oliver, which probably you would think he's going to be suspended here for conduct detrimental to the team. I'm sure something's going to come along the lines of that here in the weeks to come. And the NFL is bulletproof of this stuff. It's a disgrace, but... They'll sweep it under the rug. They'll give him a suspension. He'll miss probably four games. They may rescind it to three, and away we go. That's the shield. And as far as passing is concerned, Mike McCaskey, the former chairman of the Chicago Bears, died at the age of 76 after a lengthy battle with cancer. 
Bears, as we all know, is a cornerstone franchise in this league, going back to George Hallis. And the Bears, who had that one-year glory in the Super Bowl era back in 1985, have not been able to come close to anything or the likes of that team. Although they made it to the Super Bowl in 2006 for the Super Bowl 41 when they lost to the Colts. But the McCaskies have always been known as a cheap organization or to be nice, thrifty, or frugal. So their former chairman uh, bids us adieu. Thoughts and prayers go out to the McCaskey family, as well as Phyllis George, who, for those who watched the NFL today in the 70s, was a trailblazer. Because nobody thought at that time, at that era, that a woman who was at the forefront of the, to me, the top pregame show ever, when I think of the NFL today, I think of Brent Musburger. I think of we are looking live at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia where the Los Angeles, I mean, that was just, I love the NFL today. Now I couldn't watch it if you paid me. But Phyllis George is at the forefront of being a broadcaster, a woman that was in a male-dominated field and was able to week in and week out, bring the goods, was a former Miss America, as everybody knows, And unfortunately, she died at the age of 70 just uh, over the last few days. And a trailblazer, remember Jane Kennedy followed up after that. And Jane Kennedy for the African-American, so that even took it to another level when it came to women in broadcasting. But Phyllis George, who is pretty much the pioneer of this, unfortunately leaves us and leaves this earth. And thoughts and prayers go out to her family as well. And 2020 has certainly been unkind to the sports world, to our world, to our country. I mean, when does it stop? Uh, we, we get it, 2020. Our hands are up. We surrender. We're at your mercy. Now, can we turn it around here at some point, please? I tell you, man. All right, so let me get to my Hero in Zero Week, and I could bid adieu and also tell you about your contribution to this podcast in the days to come. My Hero of the Week is former Met manager Art Howe, who was just released from the hospital Due to coronavirus, 73 years old, he was in intensive care in ICU for a few days. And who knows, with the way this thing has gone, it didn't look pretty good. Maybe it looked bleak. Obviously, I'm not there. I don't know to what extent how bad his health was declining, but he came out of it. Now he'll be sequestered for a week or two. He says he's feeling fine and that he's grateful and thankful. And Art Howe, who didn't work out here with the Mets and also was a former manager of the the Oakland A's, former player going back to the 70s with the Houston Astros. So my thoughts, prayers go out to him, and he is my hero of the week. And my zero of the week is DeAndre Baker and Quentin Dunbar. For this alleged incident that took place at a party where they were rolling dice, and then the game got a little bit out of hand to the point where Baker had semi-automatic pistols or guns, whatever it is, and they started pointing it at people during this dice game that... Jewelry was stolen, watches, money, etc. Just a sordid display. And both players are out on bail. In fact, the Giants have said he can't even attend any of the meetings. I guess they're still looking into this investigation where, surprisingly, I understand he's the number one pick. He's a cornerback, defensive back, and that the Giants are in desperate need of cornerbacks. But, And I'm surprised that the Giants or the Seahawks, they haven't released these guys as of yet. As we all know, the way this climate is with these Incidents that go on, not only just in football and all sports, but for Baker and for Dunbar to just be out of control, if that was the case. And with the 
trial, I'm sure that's going to be pending at some point. Both of those guys are my zero of the week. So that's going to do it for this podcast here, episode 131. Now I'm going to turn to you guys before I bid adieu. I need your participation. There's a podcast that I want to produce here. Now it's been two months since this pandemic has started. I've been doing these shows from home and having to dig for different types of storylines or different types of themes for podcasts. If you haven't listened to a couple of them that I've done throughout this pandemic, I did two on my greatest victories as a sports fan for all the teams that I root for. And then the flip side of that are the toughest losses that I had to endure. So now I'm trying to think of what I could do to entertain you guys. And I figured the best way to do it is to have an AMA, which is an Ask Me Anything podcast. Pretty much could detail whatever it is, whether it's sports, whether it's life, whether it's nutrition, because I'm into nutrition and fitness and health and whatever it is. Not to say that I I have all the answers, but I'll be sure to give my best answers. So I want you guys to please send me any type of questions, any type of whatever it is on your on your mind. I don't care. And I'll make sure to shout you guys out on the podcast, which will come as soon as maybe this Thursday. It could be the following Thursday. The more responses I get, the better. And you could do so at any of my social media sites on my accounts, whether it's on Instagram at J Reels or the J Reels podcast on my Twitter feed, which is J Reels one, just a number. The J Reels podcast on my Facebook fan page or the old-fashioned way via email at the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. Forward all those questions, please. Even get your kids involved, your aunts, uncles, fathers, brothers, sisters, cousins, your dog. If they bark out a couple of things, who knows? Send it to me. I'm open. I want to get all the questions that I possibly can because it'll be part of the podcast so I can include you guys. Hopefully in the days to come. If not, next week depends on the participation and who's going to forward these questions. So please bring them in fast and furious. I would be certainly grateful and thankful for that. And also something I'd be grateful and thankful for is if you can go ahead and hit subscribe on wherever you get your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary. What that's going to do is increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. As I'm sure if you listen to the podcast, you know there are tons of them. So in order for me to get up there and not to try to say I want to be the top guy, But my point is I want it to be visible for everybody to see because I want to generate interest with those who aren't familiar with this podcast, whether it's the former athlete, the current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, whatever it may be. If you could go ahead and do that, leave a rating, post a review, I would certainly be appreciative of that. And I also have a contest in reference to that, but that's going to be for next week. So please do so. Forever grateful and thankful for your participation because as you know, whether you've been here for the first time, 10th time, or the 131st time. This is what I love to do, people, to share my thoughts, my insights, my opinions, my analysis on everything that's happening on the world of the diamond, on the world of the ice, the world of the gridiron, the world of the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.